This morning I want to talk to you. You ready now? It's a bit opposition. Oh, okay. Everybody say opposition. And then go, oh. Oh, okay. So we're going to go to Nehemiah, all right? And uh, you, some of you will be familiar with Nehemiah. Some of you will just be brand new. Who's Nehemiah? What sort of name is that? Either way, it doesn't really matter. Nehemiah, uh, well, let me give you a little bit of context, I guess, to, to this. Uh, so you remember the time the, the children of Israel, they were exiled, okay? A lot of them were carried off into Persia. And uh, so Nehemiah is one of the exiles, possibly born in exile, possibly never been to Jerusalem. Anyway, he's at work in, in the court of King Artaxerxes and his brother's could be his literal brother or his brothers and brotherhood comes back from Jerusalem and they're telling him the story of the city's been destroyed, the gates are on fire, all of that. Nehemiah is so moved. There's something has been disturbed within him, okay? And it's not just like, oh, that's awful. Goodness, I must pray about that. It is like he is on his face. He's lost his appetite. He's weeping, he's crying. His whole disposition is moved to a degree that when he serves the king, the king knows what is wrong with you? You're just not yourself. And so he says, look, the place of my birth isn't destroyed. It's in ruins, all of that stuff. And then he comes up with a plan. Can I go? Can I go and visit? Can there's something that I can do? He's so moved from within, okay, that something has to happen without. He has to get his hands on the thing, okay? And so he goes off and he, he goes to Jerusalem and he's a master builder, everybody, a master planner, great leader. And in chapter three, it talks about how he goes around and surveys all the damage of the walls. It's a great, it's a great great series to preach through sometime. We must do that. Um, and then we get to chapter four, which is where I'm going to do, uh, going to land on. He starts the rebuilding of the work. But the minute he starts rebuilding something for God, there is opposition. All right. Anyone sound familiar? Okay. The minute you do something for God, there's something else happens. So we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter four, and uh, it's going to read the first nine verses. I may trickle on a couple of extra verses uh, for context, but you kind of get the idea. So they're on the walls, they're building, and they're having a go, and then this happens. So Nehemiah four verse one. Sanballat. Okay. He heard that we were rebuilding the wall. So Nehemiah's writing this. He heard that we were building, rebuilding the wall. He became angry and was greatly incensed. Okay, so again, he's almost on the opposite side of the scale. Nehemiah is so disturbed on the good side, Sanballat is incensed on the other side, okay? There's almost a match of emotions, one to build up and one then to tear down. And it goes on, he ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates, because there's always one or two more, isn't there? And the army of Samaria, and there's a lot more, all right? He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? What are they doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Oh, you could preach on that, couldn't you? Who wants to bring stones back to life? Oh, I do. I could give my life to that, couldn't you? Come on. Verse three, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it could break down their wall of stones. And then Nehemiah says, he prays, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. And he goes on, do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So Nehemiah is just getting stuck into them. He's going praying. You ever pray a prayer like that? You probably haven't. We're all about, Lord, I just pray if you wouldn't mind, Lord. He's like, stick the boot in them, Lord. Go and get them. He's given it all of that, okay? Anyway, verse six. So we rebuilt the wall, come on, till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all of their heart. Not awesome? But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and you see how the list is growing? 
We just had a couple of boys in the army of Samaria. Now we're bringing in other nations, Sanballat, Tobiah, now the Arabs, now the Ammonites, the army of Samaria, the people of Ashdod, all of them. When they all heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, pressure is on. They were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. And I love this, but we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Well, I read on. It's like a movie. It's like a movie. This is unbelievable. Verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. So now they're freaking out. They're hearing all the opposition and it's getting into their spirit. He says, there's so much rubble. We cannot rebuild the wall. Verse 11. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and we'll put an end to the work. So they're like, oh, they're coming to get us. In verse 12, then the Jews who lived near, uh, near them came and told us 10 times over, 10 times over. Don't be that guy. 10 times over, all right? Wherever you turn, they'll attack us. 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 Wherever you turn. You see, 10 times, that's only five and I'm bored. Verse 13, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall. Jeremiah's clever, isn't he? And then behind the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. And I love that. He posted them by their families because he knows he'd defend them. He wouldn't defend somebody else's family the way you defend your own. Jeremiah is smart, isn't he? He's clever. Okay, verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Oh, come on. Remember the Lord. Who needs to hear that? who is great and awesome and fight for your families and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of the plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Amen. See you next week. All right, that, that's it. You just need to read that and sit down, don't you? It's fantastic. It really is. Father, would you help us? Because Lord, we're, we're part of a dynamic church at the moment capital C, but also small C in open arms. Lord, we bought a building. We've taken ground, Lord. And so we know, we know already that opposition will, will come. It's already been here. It'll come again. And so, Father, what we want you to do today is to get us ready before it comes, to give us language and strategy and structure to recognize what the enemy might try and do and who he might try to do it through. So that when it comes, we will turn around like Nehemiah and say, remember the Lord. Remember what we are part of. Remember what we are building. Remember the cause for which you have called us. And so that, Lord, we will be able to return to our work and build what you're calling us to build in Dublin and in the nation of Ireland and around the world. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Isn't it wonderful to be part of something that's building something else, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful to give your life to something that's doing something else that's greater than us? isn't it? Yes. I'm on, aren't I? Yeah, come on, it really is. We've got to live for something more than ourselves in life. Otherwise, it's just dull. It really is. Anyway, I want you to meet Ivor Sikorsky. Anyone ever heard of Ivor Sikorsky? Okay, Ivor Sikorsky. All right, so here's, here's who he is. And when Ivor was 12, okay, his parents told him that it was proven beyond all doubt, all right, that man would never fly. Well, at that time, Undeterred, watch this, Ivor grew up and he invented the first helicopter, the Sikorsky helicopter. 
And in his factory, okay, he placed a sign above a door with this quote on it. I love it. And it said this, according to recognized aerial, uh, aerotechnical tests, the bumblebee, all right, cannot fly because of its shape and weight of his body in proportion to his wing area. The bumblebee, however, does not know this. And he flies anyway. Hip, hip. Amen. What a great line. Everybody, Nehemiah is a bumblebee. He's a bumblebee. You're a bumblebee. To Sanballat and Tobiah and all the rest of them, he is not supposed to have a plan to rebuild the wall. He's not supposed to restore the dignity and the destiny of Jerusalem and to bring worship back to God there. He's not supposed to. How could he be the one? But you see, Nehemiah doesn't know any of this and he goes on ahead and he flies anyway. There's a lot about the church, capital C, okay, that shouldn't really fly, okay? Look at us. <laughs> I know. I know some of us can sing and we can talk and we can work with kids and we're great in the car park and we're good at setting up and we can work the computer and the laptop and hit the drums and slap and all of that. It's fantastic, but seriously, we're it. We're, we're what God uses. I mean, it's, we're, it's up against us, really, but we fly. We don't know this and we fly anyway because God is with us. There's a lot about your life at the moment says you shouldn't fly either. Sometimes it feels like the weight of your life is too heavy for the wingspan of your destiny. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes it feels like the weight of your life is too heavy for the wingspan of your destiny. And you cannot get off the ground. Such is the level of opposition. Some of you will be opposed by your past Opposed in your work, opposed in your marriages, or even by others in the church, heaven forbid. And it feels like, whatever the reason, some of us, we can't seem to flap the wings and get off the ground. I'm always just seem to be stuck here. Well, I want to encourage you today that the big lesson we learned from Nehemiah chapter 4, that as a person, as a follower of Jesus, and in an influential city church, the reality is, and the reality is, okay, that with God's help in the face of opposition, you can just go ahead and fly anyway. Amen? You're going to fly. We're going to fly today. We're going to learn how to fly. Today is a flying lesson for a room full of bumblebees. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Now, this is, we're going to go deep a little minute in time, okay? And I will tee it up because you know me well enough by now. So I want to put this caveat out there, okay? I want to talk to those who are being opposed. And then I want to challenge anyone doing the opposing. Hip, hip. And that's probably nobody in the room, of course, that's other churches. Um, and then I want to offer a solution to everybody, all right? That's just kind of where we're going. So we're going to high, and then we're going to go very quiet for the second point, okay? Because I know, all right? And then we'll rise again on the third point, and we'll land, and we'll all be friends. <laughs> or I'll not be back. Okay, the first thing is this. The first thing is this. I want us all to remember this. And this is the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God, being a follower of Jesus. There is always opportunities in opposition. Amen? Mm -hmm. Promise, there is, okay? The Bible's full of the stories, okay? And here's the thing. There's always opportunities in opposition. Opposition answers when opportunity knocks. I want us to recognize this, though, okay? Opposition always answers when opportunity knocks. I'm watching this thing on the BBC iPlayer. Do not judge me here. It's a David Attenborough wildlife thing. You know, he does the blue planet, green planet, frozen planet. Now it's in wild isles, okay? Wild isles. And he's covering Great Britain and Ireland and all of that. And doing the coast, doing the stuff. And the other day it was on wee animals. It was on grasslands or something, okay? And he took us all to the Shetney Islands. 
And honest to goodness, okay, he was showing us we animals, like we rabbits, okay, and all of a sudden, bang, a big eagle, boom, drack, tearing the thing apart. All right, well, thanks very much. And then he took us over to like the, 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 uh, the, out, of the out of the sea, and the only, apparently the, 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 the Shetlands or the Orkneys, wherever it is, it's the only place you get killer whales in, in, in these parts of the world, okay, up there. And so all it was, there's wee pictures of seals, and we seal pups doing all the business, and then bang, this, this big killer whale. So on the one minute, we're getting all this lovely fluffiness of the rabbit, bang, there was something wanting to eat it. Then we were getting all the cuddliness of a little seal, bang, there was a, it's just, the minute he showed something nice, he showed another thing trying to eat it. And it's the same with us. When opportunity knocks, there's always something to sweep in to eat it. Opposition comes. And I want you to understand this. Divine opportunity will always attract demonic attention. Amen? Divine opportunity runs about like a rabbit and there's always an eagle like ready to come down. And it's no coincidence, everybody, that the devil tempts Jesus just before he begins his ministry. That's where he gets him at the start. Because Jesus walks through, breezes through, glory to God, as, as a model for all of us. But that's where he gets him right at the start. And so this attention presents itself in determined opposition to what God is calling you to become. It is no, no, no accident, everybody, that when you try to go to new levels of intimacy, new levels of serving, new levels of risk-taking in the Lord, okay, and new levels of devotion, new levels of following, new levels of calling, anytime you want to invest in your faith, you want to step out, you want to do whatever, you will suddenly find there will be a personal attack will, will come along your way. There will always be opposition. Anytime we try to do something that will cause the kingdom of God to expand within us or in the world around us, we got to expect a little bit of kickback. It will attract demonic attention. Okay, but let's turn it on its head, all right? It is a sure sign that you're heading in the right direction. It really is. I want to encourage you with that because there's opportunity in opposition. Let me explain. Number one, opposition finds the opportunists. It'll find you anyway. Charles Spurgeon said this, God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without trial. Amen? It, it's just going to come. It's just going to find you. And the only qualification to encounter opposition in your life is just to commit to doing something with Jesus' name on it. And it's just going to come to you. It comes to us all. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says this, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, okay, lots of water here, they will not sweep over you. And then he goes like this, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Isn't that amazing? What do you notice about this verse? First thing I want you to see is, is movement. When you pass, when you walk, when you're doing life, when you're living, okay? And that's just to encourage anyone who's not moving who's not moving in God, who's kind of stuck in this moment. Oh, I want to encourage you, it's time to get moving in God. It is time to get the Bible back out, back into some semblance of re regular prayer, regular church attendance, okay, as your shift patterns allow, all of that, okay. But it's time to get moving and then to keep moving in Jesus' name. But what I want you to see is this. When, 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 it's not if, if, or if. When you move through life, when you move through life as a follower of Jesus, boom, 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 it's like a magnet. It will just come and it will attract uh, opposition to yourself. But now you know it's coming. And now you know this, that there's opportunity in it. 
I want to say this, and this is the best bit of all. Opposition submits to opportunity. Amen? There will be a moment in time in your journey that what opposes you will bow the knee to you. Amen? Look at the life of Joseph. Teenager with a big dream. Didn't handle it so well at the very start, okay? All right, lads. All right, brothers. All right. I've had this dream or two. And uh, the, the long and the short of it is you're all going to bow down to me. Thanks. Do you want to practice now? We could have a trial run. Not sure when it's going to be, but let me take my big coat off that daddy got me. I'll just flap it over here, set it by the rock. One, two, three, and you could all bow down, go. And they went, no, I don't think so. We're going to put you into a pit and then onto Potter for a prison and so on. That's how it goes. He didn't handle the dream and the call of God in his life super well at the start. It's amazing how Egypt will help you handle the big dream that God's put in your life, isn't it? I'm telling you, but nevertheless, he did experience rather severe opposition, wouldn't you say? Rejected by his brothers, thrown into a pit, then into the back of a cart, sold off, human trafficked, if you will, into, into Egypt, then by Potiphar, and then by Potiphar's wife as well, for dear sake, and then the lies about that, and ending up in prison for something that he didn't do. There's something there that would diminish the dream of God in your life, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say he would have gone to Isaiah, whatever, and said, I'm no longer walking, I trusted God, look where it got me, I got this far, is that it? I got the big coat, I got the big dream. This prison looks nothing like my dream. This prison looks nothing like the call of God in my life. My life right now bears no resemblance to the promise I believe God has given me. Is there anyone in the room? You're looking around your world and all hell is breaking loose and you're going, I can see nothing of the call of God in my life. Every Bible I have, I have this verse highlighted. That's God's promise to me. And I look around my, I can't, nothing looks like the dream. Welcome to Joseph. It's all there. And you know the story. He's released. He does all the business. He saves Egypt, stores the food, superpower, all of the stuff, famine in Canaan. The brothers come down. Suddenly God's working it all out. You see, Al, God's still in charge, all right? We're only in the moment. God's way at the end of the moment. And so it's all beginning to happen. The brothers come through into the court. They see Joseph, don't recognize him. He knows them. Big reunion, hugs and kisses, high fives. And then he says this in Genesis 45, 4 to 8. He says, then Joseph said to his brothers, Others, come close to me. Now watch this to me here. Lean in. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold. Say sold. The one you sold into Egypt. And then he says, now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me. What? In the one sentence, you thought you sold me. What I want you to know is that God sent me. For two years now, there's been a famine in this land, and for the next five, there'll be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you. Oh, it's just chills. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives. You thought you were killing me. God was sending me to save you. Come on, somebody. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord, father to Pharaoh, all right, and Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. In this moment, 
Sold becomes sent. It is the moment the opposition of the brothers submits to the opportunity of the Lord. So whatever your opposition is, stay true, stay gracious, act with dignity, live with your head up and your heart full because I'm telling you this in Jesus' name, there's a moment coming anytime now where the opposition of the world will submit to the opportunity of the Lord he's presented. Your soul is becoming sent in Jesus' name, amen? That's what it's all about and we gotta do it. So when the opposition comes, see it for what it is God will turn that thing around and use it for his glory and for his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen? We've got to believe it. Now, the second thing is this I want to talk about is the escalation of opposition. Now, all right. So, a couple of caveats to get us warmed up. I'm not speaking to a need here. All right? There's just, there's not a need in this, in this room. What I want to do is, is to give us a language and vision, okay, to, so we never need to get to this place. All right? I, I talked yesterday uh, at the conference about uh, some research that I read. Uh, it came out in March this year. It's really fresh. And it's to do with the states, churches in America. And there was several hundred churches, growing churches, okay? Issues in churches that are declining are different than issues in churches that are growing, Okay? And of all the pastors polled on churches that are growing, churches our size really, okay, and, and smaller even, um, the number one issue for pastors, do you know what it is? Could you guess? The number one issue in growing churches in the States, and I suppose we could, you know, could qualify. You might think, oh, God, it's, it's always money, it's tithing, maybe it's tithing. Well, what about volunteers? Getting volunteers, that, that's, a, that's a hardy perennial there. Uh, no, not so much. Uh, space, building space. No, not that even either. In growing churches, churches doing well. You know the number one, hands down, way beyond anything, other issue in growing churches in the US? Church conflict. Isn't that odd? Church conflict, okay? And you and I know each other well enough by now, okay? You got a heart for me, I got a heart for you. Please keep it. Okay? But here's the thing. Over the years, you begin to learn this. More often than not, everybody, opposition to the church comes from within the church. That's what I found. Is something happens, something kicks off, and we get attached to it, and then we can kind of lose ourselves in it. And the enemy can jump in and steer us in ways, or we become open to manipulation, or, or whatever. And... Let me say this, open arms, we, we are on a, on a growth tra trajectory, growth in the kingdom of God, growth in influence, growth numerically, growth in the heart and the spirit. We just bought a building, as, as you know, and the prospect of some kind of opposition is probably likely. Do you know what I'm saying? So I, I'm not saying this is a prophetic doom. This is like, oh, your man's coming. He's all. I'm not even speaking negatively over the house. All, all I want to do is to make sure and to help us, equip us, if you will, all right, to the different levels of opposition, how they ramp up okay, and using Nehemiah, okay, so that when opposition does, if, and it may not, but if it ever comes here, we will know, hang on, I'm at level one, hang on, no, I'm at two, I gotta take a step. Am I, am I, you hear my heart, okay, that's what I wanna do. The story of Nehemiah here, it reveals five levels of opposition, 
And each of those levels build on the one before it, okay? And greater in intensity, greater in threat, and greater than focus, okay? And I want to look at each of them really briefly, and then we'll close and we're, we're gone, okay? Level one opposition is this. It attacks the peace, okay? It attacks the peace. In Nehemiah 2, verse 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official, what they did was they heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. They were very much disturbed. The Bible says they were incensed. They weren't just annoyed. You ever been incensed? Like the kind of rage, kind of an anger moment. This is the first time Sanballat and Tobiah had heard about Nehemiah's visit. And the Bible says they were very much disturbed. When an action, everybody, is perceived as a threat, the initial reaction is a loss of peace. It doesn't start with gossip. It doesn't start with action. What it starts with is something shifts in your heart. Something shifts on the inside. You kind of lose your peace. And I've been around churches, and you've been around churches, I know, for long enough to know that when pastors or leadership teams or, or people change things and go a different way or go a different service or a different style or just do whatever, okay, sometimes those shifts, those little moments can, can, can change the inside of how we feel. Anybody? It, it can. And sometimes it's like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. We, we, we get a little bit, we get a little bit, dist- I don't know about that. I, I, I'm worried about that. I'm not sure I agree about that. Da-da, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that happens to all of us from time to time. I'm on a leadership team of Christian Churches Ireland. My national leader is Pastor Sean Malarkey. All of you will know him or some of you will know him quite well. And Sean will have a, have a style and a method and, and, and objectives and goals that we will Follow to the nth degree. He is our leader, absolutely. But there's always those moments when there's an idea across the table. Pastor Jamie's there, Pastor Paul Cullen, very different guys to who we are, and we're exchanging ideas. And sometimes like it's like, I'll say something and they go. <laughs> something has shifted within them. Do you know what I'm saying to you? And so if, if we don't get level one right, if we don't go, something shifted within me, and deal with that, and pray about that, and talk about that, seek counsel about that, and do it biblically and honoringly? Is that okay? That's how we do it. What happens is we move to level two. And so level two then no longer attacks the peace. We start to attack the plan. When Nehemiah 2 verse 19 says this, but when Sanballat, the Hornet, all the guys, okay, when they heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed. Watch this. They attacked the plan. They said, what is this you're doing? Can you build this thing? Are you rebelling against the king? Look at Nehemiah 4, 2, and 3. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they rebuild their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? That's what they're really worried about. Will they finish in a day? Can these bring these old dead stones back to life? They attack the plan. Look at Tobiah. What are they building? Sure, if a fox scamp, it's built so poorly, even a fox climbing on it would tear it all down. It's built so bad. That's a rubbish plan. An unresolved loss of peace has now become an outward verbal attack on Nehemiah's plan. They're not talking about why they feel threatened. They're not talking about their loss of power, their loss of prestige, their loss of influence, their loss of control. No, 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 no. They're masking all of that by attacking the plan. That'll never work. You ever said that? 
On the way home, it's a stupid idea. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why would they do that? Without knowing all the, the thinking behind the plan, all the praying behind the plan, all of the faith and the courage behind the plan, we can drive off and we go, that'll never work. That is the daftest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's got really quiet, Al. <laughs> do you know? And we can say things like, that hasn't happened before. What do we need that for? Sure isn't it okay the way it is? And what we're doing is we are filtering the implication of the plan, not on the big picture, but on our personal perspective. Amen? Are we still friends? If we, if we don't deal with our peace and the plan, okay, if we don't have a coffee with Al, if we don't have a coffee with the leadership team, if we don't have a quiet you know, conversation with people, if we don't pray and we, we take counsel, do whatever, and we have a, hey, could I, can I just give you a call? Could, could I talk about this? Could, I, could we pray together? But could I just have a concern? Or and do the thing rightly, biblically before the Lord. We go to level three. We go to DEFCON three, okay? We go into amber lights. We go in there and we begin to attack the place. We've lost our peace, we're banging on the plan, now we're going to hit the place of slap. Nehemiah 4 verse 8, he says this, they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, the place, and to stir up trouble against it. This is the next level of escalation. They lose their peace, they poke the plan, but no one is taking them on, so they ramp it up. What are you going to do? If no one takes you on, here's what some people do, okay? They attack the place and they get others to join them. It's no longer about the decision that's been made. It's now about the whole culture of the organization. Ever said this? You see that church? It's lost its way. I remember when it was five of us. I remember it was 10 of us and 20 of us. Ah, I see that. I remember when. You see that church, they've lost their way, lost their thinking, they've lost, they're not true to the mission. They're not. This is a dangerous place to be at. When we get to that place, understand that you are now at level three. There's only two more above. Level three. This is the stage that people start to go, I don't know if I fit in here. And I want to encourage all of us when we get to that place, if we ever get to that place, this is the moment to take a huge, deep breath and take a step back. Because level three, you're now talking to others. And creating an atmosphere that's really, really difficult. It's not that way back at level one, you didn't have a valid concern. It's not that what you're worried about isn't real and true for you. It's just that we haven't dealt with it in the right way. And we've allowed to get to one, to two, to three. And if we don't deal with level three, everybody... then we attack the people. Nehemiah 4 verse 11, also our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and we'll put an end to their work. And here's the difference, everybody. It's now nasty. It's vindictive. 
It's intentional. It's planned. And here's the thing. Watch this. It's now moved into the city. Before they know it, they'll be in the city, on the walls. They'll be, it's now gone inside the organization. Opposition has now festered to the point of open rebellion. And it wants to intimidate those who still believe and are still working hard in the vision and the call of God over the organization. And here's the thing. If they can't stop the vision, what they try to do is to weaken those who still carry it. Hey, could I come around and see you? Because I've got a concern. Could I come around and see you? Could I have a meeting? Could we meet? Let's have a coffee. Could 50 of us meet? Could 30 of us meet? Could 10 of us meet? Come around to my house. I, 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 I'd really want to. This happens. This happens in Ireland. Could we come around? I, I just, what do you see? Whatever, la, la, la. I didn't deal with level one. I, didn't, I blasted through level two. Level three was a breeze. We're at level four. I need you to come around. There's 40 of us in our house. We're going to have a meeting. There's 15. We need you to come because Pastor Brand's completely lost the plot. And so we got to, in the name of God, before that, we got to do level four. It's not inside the church. Hello? Are we still friends? I'll be level five though. <laughs> level five now goes for what it's always wanted all along. It attacks the power. In Nehemiah chapter six, verse one and two. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap, job done. Though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, hey, let us meet together in one of the villages. I love this, in the plain of Ono. And what did Nehemiah say? Oh no. If they couldn't get the plan and they couldn't get the place and they couldn't get the people, let's get the par. Let's get the leader. Let's get them. And we'll take him out. They didn't have want a conversation in the valley of Ono. They wanted a, an assassination in the valley of Ono. Listen to me here. And if you can't relate to this, I'm delighted. This point. I would rather none of you understand level five. I don't even understand that. Because it means you have no concept of it. If you can understand this, you've been through a few things. I mean. Unchecked opposition will always keep its final attack for those in authority. And it will try and take them out. Typically, the opposition will have numbers behind them. And they will feel that things are going their way. They'll ask for a big meeting with the pastor, the boss, whatever. And they'll attack. And they will try to take out the power. Amen? So important. I know this is kind of a hard listen. Throw the triangle back up. Can we do that? Throw that triangle back up. I never want you to get any further than here. I never want to let me get any further than here. I don't even want to get here. But I know sometimes I'll drive away from some NLT, some things, and we're having chats, whatever, and I'm like, well, I don't know if that's going to whatever. But I'm not going to put it on Twitter. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to bring it to the next meeting. And I'm going to talk it in the room with the leaders. I'm going to talk to them about it. I might have a conversation with Judith about it. But I'm going to lift the phone and I'm going to go, that's what I'm going to do about it. Amen? I, I'm not going to go, uh, is this all the churches in the Leinster region? 
Where do you hear? What's that building? My ego. That's what it's building. And it's tearing down the kingdom of God. Amen? Are we all friends? Would you remember this? Would you? We've got a nation to reach. You know, we've got people need to hear the truth and the word of God. And we cannot allow the little foxes to become big dinosaurs in our church in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So what are we going to do? Finally, and only done, okay? Here's what we do. This is the strategy. This is the way we get out of the whole thing, all right? Number one, we picture the big. Oh, this is really hard, though. This takes, I think, a degree of maturity like nothing else, especially in dynamic churches like this one where there's things going on and lots of empowering body ministry where people really are encouraged to get a go and, and to have a go, to build the thing together. It's not autocratic and open arms. There's, there's a, a theocratic, lovely body ministry vibe and we all get the chance to play our part in here. It's fantastic. So it's really important that all of us then, we, we, we picture the big as we go forward. We picture the big. We have the big picture, everyone. The problem with opposition, when it comes to you and me, okay, listen to me here. You've listened really well. Thank you. Just for the last few moments. The big problem with opposition is that what it does, when, when we get consumed with opposition, we, we get consumed with the issue. Our vision is minimized to the content of the issue. Our vision is reduced. Our vision becomes smaller. We, we become numb to a, a bigger call. We can't see outside of the single issue. We can't see beyond it. We're no longer influenced by the big picture. We can't set the issue in the proper context of everything else that's going on. We're focused on the one thing that annoys us instead of being able to go, okay, well, we're going to talk about that, but look at all the fantastic things God is doing in the house. No, no, we can't do that. Somehow, when we feel opposed, when we're, we're, in the, when we're, we're doing the opposing, we feel it, we just see the one thing. And the thing about Nehemiah is that in those moments of opposition, he never lost sight of his conviction. He never lost sight of his big heart. Chances are, everybody, he'd never been to Jerusalem. I don't live in Dublin. But the heart I have for you, the heart I have for life-giving, life-changing, the heart I have for Sandyford and for Newbridge and Kildare and for Dublin, come on. We gotta go for it. We can never lose sight of the big picture. He never lost sight of his conviction. In fact, in the first chapter, verse four, he says, when I heard these things about the walls and the gates, it says he sat down and wept. And he says, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. I wanna encourage you, vision excites us, but conviction ignites us. It gets us moving. We, when we find it easier to tear someone else down, it's because we've lost sight of what we're meant to build up. I'm going to say it again. When we find it easier to tear down, it's because we've lost sight of what we're here to do and what we're here to build up. It's easier for someone who does nothing to tear something down, isn't it? When you're invested, it's harder to tear the place down. Why? Because you're busy building the thing up. You cannot build up and tear down at the same time. Imagine that. 
Imagine the builder. Mondays, I build up. Tuesdays, I tear it all down. Wednesdays, I build up. Makes no sense. So get this conviction. Never lose sight of it. His conviction created bravery in front of the king to travel thousands of miles, to unlock a plan, to gather people and resources and inspire. And of course, it was that conviction, everybody, that motivated him to push through the opposition. Isn't that fantastic? It says, okay, the opposition's happening. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it, but it's not going to stop me in Jesus' name. Nehemiah never lost sight of his faith. He pictured, he had a picture of the big heart, but he never lost sight of the big God. The story, if you read it, and I pray that you will, it's full of prayer, it's full of fasting. The wall was built by prayer before it was built by hands. I want to encourage you, how big is your God in this moment? Never lose sight of him. Psalm 73, I'm nearly done. Blake, do you want to come back up, man? We'll play. Psalm 73, verse 25, 26. It says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire. Isn't that wonderful? Besides you. God, you're it. When you're here, I have everything. And then he says, My flesh and my heart may. Do you know what? It's going to fail. But the Lord is my strength and he is my portion forever. And then finally, everybody, he never lost sight of his mission. He would carry this great big cause. No matter how or when opposition came, he, and I, read this, he never stopped building. He didn't go, okay, we'll take a week off, stop the building, stop the building, opposition's coming, the guys are saber rattling, we'll take a step back, we'll have a prayer meeting, uh, we'll all just, no, they never stopped building. They didn't stop. They may have slowed down, they may have went to a half day a week, I don't know what they did, but they never stopped building. And I want to encourage you in your life, in your marriage, in your job, in your faith, whatever you're doing, never stop building. Amen? Never stop building. You may have to go pull back for a season, slow off, whatever you got to do, but never stop building the kingdom of God in your life. We don't have a church right now, but we're determined. We're never stopping building the kingdom of God in Ireland. There's always other ways and avenues and tracks to do it. We will never stop. I read a quote yesterday, hopefully I get it right. There's a guy called Christopher Wright. He's a Belfast academic. And he said this, we are sent to the ends of the earth and we keep going to the end of the world. We are sent to the ends of the earth and we keep going to the end of the world till Christ comes. And anytime soon, the Lord will be great. But until that, amen? Let's keep going, let's keep building. Opposition is full of, come on, don't you stand, let me pray over you, come on. Opposition's full of opportunities, everybody. Make us stronger, make us leaner. Oh, if there was another way, we'd take it. Of course we would. Who loves a good bit of opposition? Who's, who's praying right now, Lord, give me an opposition? Send me something. Do you know I prayed that prayer once? I prayed that prayer. Things were going so well for us. It was November 2004. And I prayed a prayer like this. In my naivety, Lord, send us a trial. Does that? What psycho? <laughs> Lord, send us a trial. Mm -hmm. Eight months later, quadruplets. <laughs> I've never prayed that prayer since. You have to pray for trials. Trials will find you, because you're all doing great things for Jesus. You've been faithful to your partner. Great thing for Jesus.
If you're in true with your finances, you're doing great things for Jesus. Loving on your family, honoring your parents, you're doing great things for Jesus. Trying to remain pure in your singleness, doing great things for Jesus. Dear God, opposition's coming to find you. You're standing alone in school, the only believer. Come on. Doing great things for Jesus. I encourage young people. It's going to find you, but you're doing great. Keep building. I love young people. We've got to pray for our teens, don't we? Holy Spirit, God. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room that's just about to quit. Where this word has just come in the nick of time. I'm about to have sex with someone that's not my wife or my husband or not my boyfriend or whatever. I'm about to walk away. I'm about to do something silly. I'm about to do something unchristlike. I'm about to do something because the opposition, the reality is the opposition. Come on, go on, tempt, 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 trial, trial. The opposition is so strong, so great. It was relentless, Lord. And I want to pray, Lord, you've stepped in today to get us back from the brink and to realize that even in this moment there's opportunity in the opposition. And so Father, I pray, only you can do this. Come on, let's open up our hands, everybody. Lord, would you fill us with supernatural strength right around the room? Supernatural strength. Come on, just receive it in Jesus' name. Father, would you fill us up? We need you to do it because in our own strength. But the Bible says you are our strength and you're our portion forever in Jesus' name. This is taking a bit of a prophetic turn for me. Sorry, guys. But I want to pray over your homes in Jesus' name. I want to pray over your relationships in Jesus' name. I want to pray over your ministry in Jesus' name. Church, you do this for me this week. Promise me this week you'll pray for Pastor Sean and Joe. Promise me. Come on. When you look after them, when you love on them, you encourage them, please make this a joy. For the leadership team, for our old Blake, Al and anybody I'm missing forgive me I don't mean to would you pray for the guys that that look after you and love you hello yeah come on let's do it this week and so Father would you help us Lord keep us off that triangle Lord and when we have stuff when we have stuff Lord we pray Jesus that you would help us deal with it honorably humility biblically and love and just keep loving people We love you, we honor you, in Jesus' name.